Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. Very delighted to have you all here and to tune into this episode today with Dalton Allen. Um, we have had such a wonderful chat. He uh, used to be a CFO of a company specialized in wines. A dream is coming true for me here. And he started to get into this world when he was 27. So you might want to say, wow, that is young. And indeed, I think so too. That doesn't mean, however, that you can't step up pretty quickly and you cannot do the right thing. You did quite a bit. Very, very right, because this business grew very quickly from 18 million to over 100 million uh, within just a few years. So how he supported the CEO of the business to get there, he's going to share in today's episode. He's also going to be talking about his way into leadership, what he truly loved about it, what makes him a great leader. However, also what challenges have accompanied him during this time up until today. I don't think anybody will ever be without challenges. They can keep us on our toes, right? So he very openly and vulnerably is going to share his very personal experience of uh, challenges. This year, he had a milestone. He celebrated his 30th. And he has been one of the individuals who said, you know, despite the great resignation or the great reset in the States, I would say globally, really, I'm going to leave this role. I'm going to leave those financial ambitions that I used to have as well, at least in this uh, more traditional role in the corporate space. And I'm going to do my own thing and build a my own financial success, but also be far more in line with my values and my purpose. And uh, therefore, he founded a company called Third Eye Capital. And we are going to be talking about what led him to do it, how he has done it, and uh, how he built within a very short period of time. So from April 2022 up until today, already a successful business that creates some remarkable clients. So without any further ado, let's just dive into this episode. And I'd love, as always, to hear your feedback and your thoughts. So keep them coming and share them with us. But for now, have a great time listening to this episode. Speak to you in a moment. Hello, hello, daughter, my friend. How are you today? I'm amazing. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Especially <laughs> after talking about wine for quite a bit of time before we hit the record button. So thank you for that. 
Turns out we both love wine. <laughs> Indeed. The advantage you have over me is clearly that you worked in the wine industry and that you have really deep knowledge about the industry and the growth of wine and, and all the regulations in the US. Very fascinating. Yeah, you know, I kind of think that the wine industry is a bit of a like a metaphor for life, you know, like 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 wine itself is. You know, I think that wine has the terroir where it's from, just like us people do. And then it can be molded and crafted into something kind of uh, nasty or something kind of beautiful. Right. So really, really enjoy that experience. And some people love it and some people don't. Yes, I know. I I am one that loves it. My partner, not so much. So so I'll be drinking. Uh, I'll be drinking wine. and He'll be drinking a gin and soda. Well, more for you. I'd say. However, currently you are not into the wine at all. So just for the listeners, right, what I am experiencing here is Dalton being in LA. So we speak clearly at different times in the day. It's morning for you. And he has this beautiful, large wine glass right in front of him. I see some ice in it as well, but it's water. He starts the day off healthy. He's looking after himself right now as well, his nutrition and so on and so forth. But it's still lovely to see. Yes, yes, it is. It is. It's good to have that morning health routine, you know, Um, self-care before before anything else. So what else is is a part of your care regime in the morning and and through the day, really? Yeah, you know, my healthcare routine and my my personal care routine has really evolved and really taken shape over the the last two years or so. But it really involves like I get up pretty early. I I go to sleep fairly early and I get up early around 530 or six. I'll get up and I'll do some breath work and meditation and then I'll go to the gym. I've got a personal trainer that I see. So four days a week, I'll go to the gym and then I'll come home and make some breakfast and hang out, maybe read really, really, really chill. And I typically try not to start work until 10 or 11 a.m. So from the time I wake up at six until 10 or 11, it's just strictly personal care. And a lot of that is taking care of body, right? So workout, making a really, really healthy. I make a hot breakfast every single day for both my partner and I and Really, one of the things I've learned recently from my nutritionist is what she calls rest to digest. So really sitting down and enjoying our food, looking at our food because our digestion starts with our eyes. And there's really a, a physiology associated with it too, because it sends a message to our stomach to start producing stomach acid, which helps us in digestion. So really taking the time to sit down, enjoy the cooking experience in the morning, sit down, eat the food slowly and with intention, rest after eating, having a good conversation or reading the paper, and then going out on my day. And then a lot of it is I, I love reading and I love learning. So it'll be like research and I'll get like involved in this like crazy research things about like whatever it doesn't really matter. Like I'm kind of interested. There's a lot of news on nuclear fusion right now. So I'm kind of like in this rabbit hole and nuclear fusion just because why not? Right. And then um I'll start work around 10 or 11. So I, I find it interesting every time I know I'm going to guest a new theme emerges and not just in the actual conversation throughout the day. And it's exactly the same with you. Conversations I mainly had today were about busyness, filling the day to get most out of it, quote unquote, and in the end to feel frazzled and exhausted. Now you are running your own business, which we are going to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. And you literally prioritize your self-care right away when you start your morning right how do you do that from a mindset perspective as well and and the second part of the question is 
How do you then start the workday? How do you feel when you kick it off at 10, 11 ish? Yeah, you know, so this practice really came out of really being burnt out. So in the past, I was super productive, super high energy, still am. But what I was doing was waking up early, always have, going to work, and I'm working all day. And what was happening is getting frazzled, getting frustrated, and not being the best version of myself. And it leads to burnout, right? And then we crash. Yeah. So I took a step back. And what I realized is I can get 10 hours of work accomplished in five or six hours if I've taken care of myself, right? So if my diet is correct, if my fitness is right, I have a new mental clarity and new motivation in my life. Because so I'm realizing there's a lot of unproductive time in our days. And then also, um, I don't know if you've ever read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, but- yes. Yes, of course, right? It's like, that's not what life is either. It's like, life is not about working working 10 hours a day. And by the way, I don't believe in a 40-hour work at all. I just actually hired my first employee at my new business. She started on Monday. Yay. So this is the we're incorporating into our culture now is, is what is our work week? What is our workflow, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm of the firm belief that you can't live a well-balanced life, mind, body, and spirit by working 40 hours a week. You just can't do it. And you shouldn't have to either. Mm. So so I know she has only started and you're kind of setting yourself up as a team as well. So it's it's work in progress. However, what are your initial thoughts on, you know, how you want to create that workspace, what it's going to look like, what is for you and for her the optimal work week? Yeah, you know, so I'm in the finance space and... Fortunately for us, there's nothing urgent, right? So we do have a, a luxury in that many other people don't. It's by definition, our work is always looking at the past. So accounting work or projecting the future finance work, nothing's in the moment. So we always have a lot of flexibility in our workflow, uh, which leads to a lot of peace in our life. So I always more or less know what the workflow is going to be. And she works 20 hours a week. So she works 20 hours a week, but a pair is a full-time employee. And then I try to work about 30 hours a week and really prioritizing the self-care in there. So it's definitely a work in progress. And what I'm finding is, you know, as my practice grows, I'm working more. So it's working to the workflow. And I totally believe in this ebb and flow. And I think that's great in this part of life, mm-hmm. but it's also about striking that balance and recognizing when there's too much flow and too little ebb mm-hmm. and getting getting back into that balance. Yeah. Which is why I hired this employee, right? I had too much. So I was like, oh, I need some help. But you noticed that in the moment and you took action, right? And what I believe is a huge challenge, it definitely has been and still is to some extent a challenge for me and I'm sure for others as well, is to recognize that moment when you you get out of balance. So what are the signals your body and your mind sent to you uh, that showed you in that moment, oh, I need to actually hire someone? Yeah. I mean, it's a practice. It's, It's annoying to say, but it is, you know, it's... I probably really try to prioritize this meditation practice in the morning. And one of the things that I'm prone to is anxiety. So I've, I've, I've struggled with this for years. It's been a continuing practice for the last decade for me to really try to get it under control. You know, in college, I, I try to go on antidepressants, SSRIs, and had some really negative side effects. I haven't been on them for years. So I've developed other, other coping mechanisms for me that work. And one of the things that I've recognized is when I finally get into a meditative state or when I get into a relaxing state, I'll realize that my body has a lot of tension. I hold a lot of tension at my heart 
uh, my chest and shoulders. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever heard the story or the, the, the little parable of the, if you, if you drop a frog in boiling water, it will mm-hmm. jump out. But if you turn up the heat, it'll boil, right? So that's how, that's how my body's reaction to anxiety is. It will slowly get built up. I don't even recognize that tension I'm holding in my heart and chest. But as soon as I can take a moment to break that, break that cycle, be like, oh, I can recognize that it's there. Yeah. Then I can take action to fix it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's really helpful for me, and I'm a big, big advocate of, and I actually have clients in this space that do this clinically, is plant-based medicine and psychedelic work. So using plant-based medicine and psychedelics to, to help with, with mental health. I've got a client who uses ketamine therapy in a clinical setting supervised by doctors to help patients primarily that have PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it's really cutting edge work that I'm really passionate about. So I do myself have experience with it that has really changed my life yeah. and allow, give me some additional tools to confront those. Weren't we chatting about that Netflix series we watched? How to change your mind. Yeah, exactly. That literally blew my mind. You know, it shows again, we can be so full of bias and prejudice and what's good or bad. We throw coffee and alcohol and and I'm I'm admittedly a huge fan of wine, right? Into (laughs) our bodies. We don't move. We sit on our chairs all day long. All stuff that is harm our bodies and our minds. And yet we judge certain psychedelic uh, options and not having them, having even tried them, read about it, done some research. And this show literally blew my mind what you can do in the space of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic disorders. It was incredible how much it can help if it is in a controlled, safe container, basically. Totally. And, you know, so I also, I've also have a client in the cannabis space and, you know, we were actually talking about the U S policy and regulation around alcohol before, before you jump on the podcast and the cannabis and the United States cannabis is a schedule one drug, which means it's classified as basically no medicinal use, no purpose. It's, it's, it's worse than cocaine. Right. But the States have legalized it. So um, my, my client is really passionate about the therapeutic benefits of cannabis. She's experienced them herself and really passionate about getting high quality medicinal grade cannabis to people that can utilize it. But the problem is the U.S. policy doesn't agree with that. So I don't know if you know this, but in the United States, if you're engaged in an illegal enterprise, so for example, selling cannabis, even though it's legal in the States, you can't deduct your business expenses. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what, when you're going about a regular course of business... She, you can't deduct your cost of employees, IT, rent, my fees, right? So these businesses basically by function and design are unprofitable, all of them in the United States, basically, because of this policy and our prejudice around cannabis. Mm. We could dive into a deep political conversation now about other issues. However, I want to <laughs> use the time to talk about you and in, in, in particular, your leadership. Yes, um, of course. And and let's start start about well, start at the beginning, really. I mean, I have I don't think I've ever met someone who has been in a CFO role at a very, very young age, which is fine. They might just not have crossed my path or I have not crossed <laughs> their paths. I'm sure they're out there, but who have been hugely successful, but decided in times of COVID, the great reset to say, no, you know what? I let go of that role. I'm going to do something else. 
Yes. So, so tell us about your background, um, your role as a leader in the wine industry as well. <laughs> and let's get to the point where you made the choice to do something different. Yeah. So, you know, from Helena, Montana, small town that nobody's really heard of, capital of Montana, but, you know, 30,000 people. And it's just, um, it's it's a very like down to earth, salt of the earth place. And born and raised there, which got my accounting degree from a local Catholic college there that had 1500 students called Carroll College. My, my graduating accounting class, I think had six graduates, right? I ultimately left there, moved to Portland, Oregon, and kind of just found my way in, in accounting and, and financial leadership. And this is a lot of kind of my approach, which we'll talk about, but I was actually living in Portland, Oregon, which is where I met this cannabis when I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling with some things in my life, primarily like a loss of, like a sense of loss of direction and anxiety. And I had an opportunity to do a psychedelic plant-based medicine, some DMT. So I did it. I was when I was first getting really into meditation, mindfulness, and really starting to think about what my life really is. And it's the first time I really saw my ego. And I have a life before this moment and a life after this moment. So my life, as you know me today as a leader, started after this moment, after I confronted kind of some demons that I've been, I've been avoiding. So the next day, at, about, at this time, I was the director of finance of a large law firm in Portland, Oregon, the offices in Seattle and Portland. I was in the head of their finance team, uh, finance and accounting team. Uh, next day, I went and quit. No notice, just quit. And I moved back to Montana and I moved in with my mom. I had no money. I had nothing. I was 26 at the time, I think. No money, nothing lined up. And I just kind of put it out there, right? If, if the universe is going to deliver something to me, it's going to deliver it. And randomly, I met this, I met this person out randomly at a wine bar. And she was talking about, she had a friend with a job opportunity for her in Napa, California, and she was going to explore it. And in my mind, I was like, oh, like Napa seems like a pretty dope place. Yeah, I need a definitely. job. Maybe I'll look at that. <laughs> so I literally Google accounting jobs, Napa, California. This company comes up and their application is very different than anything I've ever seen, right? It's the the job description is like eight pages long. Talks about they start work at 10 a.m. every day. You meditate together for an hour every single day together from 10 to 11 um, you know, very, you talk, you use words like the universe and grateful and, you know, things that I was really aligned with and things that I was doing. And, and the application is a 15 question questionnaire questions like when was the last time you cried, describe a recent failure. Wow. Some of these really, really kind of deep hard hitting questions. And I was like, this resonates very deeply with me. So I apply, we, we vibe, right. It's, it's going well, it's, there's flow involved and, I fly down to Napa from Montana. They, they fl the final part of the interview is to fly you down for a two-day in-person interview. Fly down to Napa from Montana. And the day I'm leaving uh, from the interview, I think it goes great. They're flying another candidate. So they're interviewing me and one other person. The day I leave, uh, COVID lockdown is going to effect. So, so, COVID lockdown? Oh, yeah. Yeah, COVID yeah. lockdown is going to effect that day. So like the end of March. Get back home. They decided to put a hiring freeze, whatever. So I'm like, ah, you know, put it out to the universe. It's not going to happen. A week later, they offer me the job. They're like, oh, you know, we need you. And so I moved down there the next day. I pack up my car and drive down the next day. And I start on April 1st. So this kicks off the start of a crazy journey for me, you know. And at the time, the company had like 
I don't know, 18 million a year in sales or something. The time I left, we're doing about 100 million. So, you know, I started really as just kind of their controller. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I started in April. And by the time October, I got promoted to the CFO. That's 27 at the time. And through that experience, really led the company from that growth stage of a startup, right? At 19 million a year in sales with 30 employees to 100 with 100 employees, right? And learned a lot about myself and the company through that process and helped navigate. And there's a lot of growing pains that happen going from a small startup into an enterprise. And then, you know, ultimately in April this year, I decided to leave and start my own firm, basically doing that for other people. Well, there are a few more things that we might want to add to how you do it in particular. I'll get yeah. back to that, though, because um, I find it fascinating. I haven't heard about this election or the application process before, and it triggered two emotions in me. The first one was, wow, really? They do that? Like feeling almost a bit awkward about it. And then I thought, really, they do that? That's cool. It's actually bold. It creates self-selection right away. It shows values right away. That's what they stand for. And if you don't like it or if you feel uncomfortable about it, that's your choice. You know, it's yeah. not your cup of tea. So, so you clearly immediately resonated with it and went for it. Yeah, I did. It, you know, I have, I have a complicated relationship with this hiring practice because, by the way, I generally fall in the campus. I like it because... I was recently hiring for an employee and I put out on LinkedIn and you're never going to believe this in 19 minutes, I had 378 applicants. I was like, there's no way that I can weed through that and find quality applicants. Right. There's just, and in the world where LinkedIn easy apply, let's anybody apply with one button. It's just, it's just too much. Right. So I want, I don't care if I get 370 applicants or two, I just want quality, right? So this is a great opportunity to feel that quality. And it's an opportunity for the candidate to get a really good feeling of who you are as the employer, right? So I generally fall in the camp of I like it. However, it's also troubling because it's ripe for bias and ripe for discrimination unconsciously, right? So as I continue to grow my firm, I'm going to take some of these things in, but really figure out a way to do it with a little bit more intention and and thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. But I do think that our higher practice it needs to be revamped a little bit in America, um, and you know, in, in, in the in the first world, away from this oh. like resume easy apply, right? Doesn't work. Yeah, thank you for mentioning the first world. I think it's not just the states yeah. being challenged by that. So you then found your team member. And I appreciate we are jumping a little bit back and forth, but it's an interesting topic. Actually, you found your team member. How did you find the quality amongst all of these applications? It ended up being a, a connection through my mother. So my mom does something actually kind of similar to you, but you do in a way coaching. Thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. No, it's, it's great. I, lo- like I love that. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm really, really, really proud of my mom and the work that she does. I was recently in Montana. Actually, first time we talked, I was traveling and I've just got back from Montana. I was staying with her for a little bit and I'm really ins- proud and inspired of what she's accomplished. And she probably helps women overcome, you know, kind of women have, women have a specific, and I, I'm just, I'm just parroting what my mom says. I've learned a lot about this, but women have, you know, specific things that men don't encounter. She calls it the feminine wound, mm-hmm. that things that I'll never understand. And they're not really widely talked about. So she really helps a lot of these women, especially in Helena, Montana. There's a lot of 
dogma and shame around religion and sex and drugs and you know so she really helps a lot of these women overcome that and help them achieve their you know their the highest version of themselves so anyway i was in montana i was working for a few weeks and telling my mom i was looking for somebody in my frustration and she had a a client of hers that she referred me to so it was i i ended up vibing with her and we had a great connection and she's really involved in the same kind of esoteric and thoughtfulness work that I'm in, I am I enjoy. So the kind of the old school friend of a friend is how I found this employee. So in the end, it's connections, you know, building the relationship. Are key. Yeah. Connections are key. They are 100%. And, and large level of curiosity as well. You know, you could say, yeah, yeah. she can send me her CV. And then we see there's this sense of urgency that meets curiosity all right yeah of course i'm up for it let's connect yeah, you know exactly. and and build you used the word vibrant quite often we had a good vibe we have a vibrant connection and yeah. see as to whether there's any vibration basically in the conversation exactly and you know like i i think we've particularly gotten away from this type of connection in covid right even i love zoom you and i are zooming right now but mm -hmm. I'm so used to people requesting to email me or email me. Let's just chat on the phone, right? Let's 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 connect about this and have a have a heart to heart and really really connect. We can do all this in goal in mind, right? We just gonna become very impersonal about things. I think. You mentioned before that, in particular, in this organization where you have been the CFO, they uh, there was some growth pain, right? When you go from yeah, eighteen sure. million to one hundred million, it's not just a walk in the park. I could imagine, and from my own experience, when you start being a leader and you grow as a leader very fast as you did, there might be some growth pain as well. And you mm -hmm. mentioned anxiety before. What were some additional pains that you might have experienced and what did you learn from them? Yeah, you know, I overcame a huge demon of mine working for this company because when you're a leader at a company, especially a closely held organization, so when your corporate governance is involved with two or three owners and, and there's a consolidated amount of power, there's a lot of key decisions. All the key decisions are largely held in one key decision maker and the CEO of these organizations, right? And there's no board of directors. So that's, that's the type of organization I was working in. So I always like, I've historically liked to please people. And at the beginning of my time there, I felt pressure to do things that I was not comfortable with to please the key decision maker right and over my time there i realized that that wasn't serving me or the business and i had to learn how to really not please how to do what i know i need to do and how to have thoughtful confrontation right because confrontation thoughtful confrontation is one of my greatest skills nowadays something that i do every day with my clients is Oftentimes we're taught to avoid it, but it just, it needs to happen, right? So that was one of my biggest growing pains was, no, I'm not going to do this just to please you. It's okay if we disagree. And if you're going to fire me because I'm not going to do this, that's okay mm -hmm. too. I'm going to stay with the topic for a wee bit, because I think, I think there's a lot of meaty stuff in there that could help yeah. the, the listeners as well. People pleasing is something I'm pretty sure you hear about quite regularly. I certainly do as well. And it can be hard to create this thoughtful confrontation, and yet it can be beneficial, right? So, so can you talk us, if you still remember, through this, this phase where you moved from people-pleasing tendency into the thoughtful confrontation, how did you basically learn it and, and make it become a habit? 
Yeah, it's it was really tough love, right? You know, I had some people come to me in my life that say like that felt like a very dishonest representation of you. Mm-hmm. Or I know that's not what you really think. So why do you tell him that, right? And at the beginning, I was a little defensive about it. My ego was involved. And then I met my now fiance at that company. That's where we, that's where we met. And as him and I got closer, I started to allow that feedback more into my life. And he and I worked together. So he saw me, we were involved in the same thing every day. He saw what I was doing. And um, so it, it really, be, and then he's great at this type of conflict. So he helped, he coached me through, you know, how, how do we have this conflict and really standing your ground? So I don't know if that really answers your question. It does. It helps actually hugely. This week I was working with a group of leaders and we spoke about this kind of confrontation, thoughtful confrontation. I actually like the expression very much. And it was quite often interpreted, I have to be harsh and too direct and I will hurt people. But actually it's not about that. And having people around you who share their observations very openly with you can help your own growth. And I think that's what your now fiancé really did in that moment so that you can do it as well. It's true. You know, my my grandmother, really interesting character. She was one of 18 children from Kansas, right? Catholic family, uh, one of the youngest. Anyway, she died when I was fairly, I mean, I was an eighth grader. So I don't know, 12, 13. So I had a relationship with her. But you know, I don't really remember a ton that she had taught me, but the one thing that I really recall is she said, after I was angry as a child, I don't really remember, but she said, when you experience that feeling, ask yourself three questions. And if it, if, if you can pass these three gates, then you can proceed. Question number one is, is it honest? Um, is what you're saying the, the objective truth? The second thing is, is it kind? Is it a kind thing to say? The third, is it necessary? Right. So if you can pass those three gates, you can be confident that you can look at that conversation, that confrontation and feel good about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, it's only recently that I've started to really understand what that means. But and then the, the final piece for me is just really meeting people where they're at. You, you know, in order to be a thoughtful leader, you engage a lot of conflict. So a lot of my job nowadays is really conflict re- resolution either mitigating conflict between parties or instigating conflict where there needs to be conflict, right? So I had a call with a client the other day who has a lot of dysfunction in their organization because they actively try to avoid the conflict and not talk out Mm. the real problem, right? So oftentimes it's my job to insert myself and have an uncomfortable conversation, right? And a lot of that is meeting people where they're at and dissociating my ego and my thoughts about it and meeting them where they're at. And then we can start something. I often feel it's easier when you come in as the external party. Totally. You have the objective view. You are not involved in all the emotions. You have this genuine way of, I want to support you all for the greater good, you know, yep. and, and in a consultant role in this moment, I'm sure you are not calling yourself a consultant, <laughs> but you kind of take, in to, take over that role in that moment you see it as your responsibility to help and you bring this care in as well. And, and I do believe it does make it easier than when you are right in there. But as you just said, there are some tools you can use when you are right in there to yeah. initiate or solve the conflict as well. 
it's much in the same way that like I, we have a good friend who loves couples therapy. She's the world's biggest advocate for couples therapy. And it's as much the same way, right? It's like, you can, you can resolve the conflict between you likely, but having an independent mediating third party is really beneficial. Oh yeah. You know, I, um, we, I went to this, we, we live next to this kind of, uh, this place in LA called the comedy store. It's like a venue for stand-up comedians to, to, to work up the stand-up comedian ladder. I don't know. I'm not super involved in the industry, but uh, we went the other day for a show on like a Wednesday night and this gal was talking about couples therapy and uh, this stands out. She was like, um, couples therapy is the best thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. I just pay this guy $200 an hour to repeat exactly what I say, but in a man's voice, you know, <laughs> so that my, so my husband can hear it. You know what? If it helps and oh, if it makes life easier. I'm pragmatic about it. Here you go. Well, I've invested money. You know, quality of life. Here we go. <laughs> Less yeah, of exactly. the conflict in our house. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure your friend is listening to the podcast by Esther Parrell. Um, if she if she's into couples therapy, it's brilliant. It's honest, direct, great to just listen to some of the conversations between couples and and the a therapist. It's yeah, I'm a big fan of any support you get into the house in order to make your life better, more qualitative, easier. Yeah. Do what rocks your boat, really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, have the hard conversations. That's kind of one of my, I've got a few tenants in my in my business that all my clients have to agree upon when they sign with me. And one of them is we have the hard conversations. You know, it's like, we're not going to be on the bush. We're going to have the hard conversations. And it's not always pleasant. It's not always fun, but it's what needs to happen. Yeah. So it's not so long ago that you were the CFO in this role. Mm -hmm. And before we talk about what motivated you to leave and to start your own business, what motivated you in that role full stop? And, and the background, the reason why I'm asking you this is there has been so much discussion for years now about generations and what motivates them and what demotivates them, what people in certain generations are looking for, what's important to them. So that's what I really want to discuss a little bit more. What triggers your motivation? Yeah, I think it's a really poignant question. It's something we don't talk about enough. So I hear about this a lot, right? So I'm a millennial. I just turned 30. I had my birthday two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, I guess at this point. Belated happy birthday. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I think we, I, we might have talked like right on my birthday, I think last time. But I think so. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I actually get this question a lot. So one of the things I get is like, oh, wow, you're young. Like what people your age don't want to work. Right. And I find this, this simple, and we hear this all the time. Millennials, Gen Zs are lazy, right? Really? Um, you don't hear that? No, to be honest, no. Maybe it's just an American thing. Maybe it's it's not, and I just don't hear it. I, d I don't know. I hear other yeah. stuff, but not that one. Okay, interesting. Well, you know, I used to hear this all the time, and you know, this one company I used to work in is it's it's hard to motivate these people to work, and I'm I'm gonna say it's it's I will encourage anything in life. It's not that simple. Um, to encourage people to take a more dynamic approach at things. But, you know, what motivated me was really building something. So I'm a learner. I'm a seeker. I love to learn and build. I started my education actually out in industrial engineering because I'm really fascinated by engineering and building and how things work. And then I decided that accounting was more my speed, so I switched. But I had this amazing opportunity to 
build something great. You know, this company gave me a lot of leeway. I had ultimate control over finance and accounting, and I could really build it in my image. So the CEO really saw something special in me and gave me un, unlimited resources to build the great business that, you know, in, in whatever way that I could do it. And I made a lot of success there. And I recognized he took a massive risk on me. And then plus, I'm very honest with the fact that I'm financially motivated, right? So I structured a compensation package with, with him and my, that I hit these deals and we would do things and I would be financially taken care of. I would achieve this and I get this bonus, right? So I am financially motivated and I'm very honest and open about that. And that's something I talk a lot about with my clients, right? It's like, you might do esoteric work, you might be a healer, but we still need to make some money to keep the doors open. Yeah. Right? Totally. Let's be pragmatic about that. So, yeah. so I'm motivated by building something great, solving problems and making money. And other people, this was a big thing at the company too, by the way, is everybody's motivated by different things. So you can't apply one thing. So one of the conversations we were at the beginning, when you're a very small, cohesive team with very same val very similar values, it's much easier to keep it tight. But as you grow and you sort of onboarding more people of different walks of life and different stages, finding new and important ways to motivate and keep everybody rolling together. Yeah. Which, which means you've got to, you know, have an interest in the people you're working with and to understand what motivates them. Ask the question. Yeah, but most people don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they'll tell you what they think they, you want to hear. Yeah. So I, when I was, I was did a lot of interviewing at this, at this company. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we talked about this 15 question questionnaire they did was why we did this. It susses out a lot of those questions. You can, you get a lot of information from those and really figure out what what makes people tick and there's no again there's no right or wrong answer to these things so i just want to know i just want to know so i can support you if, if we end up working together us being like very honest about what we're into makes a much healthier relationship you know what i really love about that story as well is that your boss at the time just put all his trust in you so he must have seen so much in you already at that point that he said, you do run with it. You make all of these decisions. You lead us to the growth or, or you collaborate with us to get to that growth level. Yeah, I've done a lot As, of reflection on that. And I'm like, was it a stroke of genius or colossally stupid, right? <laughs> have you ever asked him? No, I have not. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, before we started the recording, we were chatting about those voices talking to us you know what we're doing wrong and is it enough and have I done enough work so high standards and how we perhaps listen to positive feedback but how we also then take it or don't take it right has yeah. he ever given you this verbal positive feedback um, and if so what was it because in his actions there seems to be a lot of feedback in itself but what did he actually share with you yeah it's interesting he He's more of like, he was more of an action guy. So there wasn't so much words of affirmation. We we're talking about the five level languages yeah. earlier, but it would be, you know, here's a raise, here's a bonus, or just being, getting out of my way. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he would say to me all the time, he was like, he was like, you know, Dalton, you're, you're the only person here. I don't manage because I don't need to. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's what you want. Right. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. And so really just kind of like letting me do my thing. Mm -hmm. And, and as, by the way, as soon as I stopped performing, 
that relationship wouldn't work anymore, right? That relationship was strictly predicated on my performance. Yeah. And as, as soon as that stopped, that latitude would have stopped too. And, you know, he was very, we were very open about what this dynamic means. And the reason I have this latitude is strictly based on performance. And if that stops, the latitude stops. So there was communication, there was a clear agreement and check-ins in between. Yeah. Are we on the same page? You know, it's, yeah, yes, there was, you know, you were, when, when you're in, when you're in that CFO, when you're in a C-suite role in an organization like that, you have constant communication between the other C-suites and CEO, right? So um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to boil down a, a lot into a simple thing, but yeah, very constant communication and a lot of hard conversations too, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't all butterflies and rainbows. I'd fuck up all the time. And he'd be like, dude, you're fucking up. Yeah. I, I can only imagine with that growth rate. Yeah. Well, that's failure is flow. We make mistakes all the time. Yeah. Right. And it's it's about recognizing them, not putting shame upon them and learning from them. Then not making them again. Right. Given that he has been so focused on the performance, right? Go up and yeah. up and up, which isn't a, a bad thing. How did he then deal with failures, with the mistakes along the way? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So fortunately, I was not involved in the marketing piece, right? So so the up and up and the, the, the financial growth of the company was partially my purview and making sure that we were had sustainable and profitable growth because, you know, the company didn't have any debt or investors. We were strictly funded off of operating cash flows, which is what I work with my clients to do too, which is kind of unheard of these days. It's very fashionable for companies to lose money. And I don't believe in that. So we had I, we have really strict ways of making sure that we achieve that level of cash flow and continue to operate with operating cash flows. But when things weren't going super well, his default, and I think many of ours is to point blame. It's so-and-so's fault, right? And the company was, I'll use a specific example, is last year, Apple changed its rules called the iOS changes, which changed the way we can track data privacy in the United States. And it really impacts the way that we can remarket to people on social media. Mm -hmm. And overnight, it made it, you know, whatever, 4x more expensive for the company to acquire a new company, a customer on Facebook, which made it unprofitable. And because of our business model, we were operating cash flows, we couldn't do it anymore. And his thing was, Facebook is going to have to figure that out, right? That's Facebook's problem. Well, no, that's our problem right? It's, we have to take some responsibility for that. And ultimately we'll come around to it, but the initial response is, was always, it's their problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's kind of a normal thing. I don't know you. I don't know. I guess everybody is, is different. It can be an immediate defense mechanism. Absolutely. Yeah. As long as you come around and you have people around you who can challenge you in your, in this moment and who speak up. Cause I, yeah. I think it gets dangerous then when there's literally no one around you who speaks up, who is as candid and as open and takes you in the direction you need to focus on now and builds yeah. this castle of illusion. That's really kind of where we started to go astray, right? Was this is what I kind of talked about consolidation of power in organizations is when there's nobody to challenge that individual, that's when things can kind of go a little bit sideways. And we certainly had moments of that. So was that one of the um, reasons why you at some point decided to go even in, as you would say, uh, challenging times <laughs> in, in the world? Or what were your reasons to say, no, nah, I have a very well-paid position here, quite successful, fast growth. But yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. So there's two things. There, actually, funny enough, I was brushing my teeth this morning and thinking about this. I love for two reasons. 
one of them was the company I started with, this company that I interviewed with that, you know, was sitting together for an hour every day, meditating with a few people in a room. I wasn't that anymore, right? And that's cool. Like we had grown exponentially, had a lot more employees. We had gone remote and that changed from this like kind of community vibe into corporate America. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of by design. We had we'd put a lot of work and intention into growing and you know, building all that that out. But it's just not the kind of company that I wanted to work for. So I was unhappy. And then at the same time, I was really thinking about my career and what I want and my own independence and how the world is changing. And as I've been observing post-COVID, as the world shifts and with this great resignation, I really recognize that the only way for me to protect myself and my family and my financial success, my career success was for me to do it myself. And so kind of these things coalesced. And then I randomly got my first client. People started calling me and the universe just really just delivered this to me. And I listened to it and all the stars aligned and I just quit and started my own thing. Goodness me, that it hasn't happened quite like that to me. It sounds smooth. I'm, I'm sure I'm making it sound more smooth than it was. I don't know. I'm curious to see what my partner's perspective or like my mom's perspective, would be, you know, I'm sure they yeah. say it's a little messier. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a messy road. And if it's not it right is. there at the beginning. It's not glamorous. It, it, it will get messy at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, I told you that I had a chat with my supervisor today and she basically said, oh, you got to the next stage now of, you could call it the messiness in your business to reshape, to refocus, to think about, okay, what does that next level of success look like? You know, what does it look like? Do you know? To a certain extent, but not fully yet. And I'm someone who needs to mull over that a little bit on on her own and gets the flip charts out and all of that shebang and to put it down. But you know what, what I can tell you is that when I started out and currently I'm getting a lot of questions. Oh, can we have a 15 minutes chat to talk about how you started your business? When I started out, I was very much focused on security. I was very much focused on step-by-step and, and, and taking the slow path. I wouldn't say I was risk averse, not at all, but I took a lot of calculated risks. And I was focused on, okay, goals, financial goal goals, and how mm. can you get that in a way that you also incorporate a lot of fun and enjoyment. And now what has shifted is I'm thinking about the next level financially, absolutely. I'm financially motivated too. But I also think about what gives me a ton of energy, what right. literally makes me feel light and at ease and um, fulfills my, my values too. One of my key values is um, freedom. So mm-hmm. what does that actually mean and how can I translate that into business? And I think that is where I have the, the big shift. How can I bring all of these tangible as well as intangible components together and build space? I'm, I'm similar, very similar to you in that respect for my own growth and learning. Yeah. And it's almost like, I thought, by the way, I thought a lot about this too. And I think we have some very similar goals in this regard. Mine is freedom too. I need, I need freedom. Right. And big part of that is finances, right? Like finances, financial independence is freedom in a lot of yeah. regards. Yeah. And in my business, I don't know how your business exactly is, but I've had to let some clients go because they disrupt the peace in my life. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about, I'm willing to take some financial hits yeah. in order to not have your bad vibes in my life. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, I don't know. That's kind of like 
cutting out the net, the yuckiness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and loads of books are now written about, you know, energy levels and who drains your batteries and who gives you energy. And, and I think if your vibe is interrupted by energy that doesn't suit you, that's just not a match for you, for someone else, it might be perfect, but for you, it exactly. isn't. I think at some point you'll show that towards others. And you may not be attracting those people that actually are on the same wavelength. And you can literally do some something amazing together. It has a ripple effect. I strongly right. believe in that. So setting those boundaries and making those tough choices as well can actually contribute to your success. Yes, exactly. I was, you know, I think of it in terms of finance because that's kind of what I do, but I think of it as compounding interest, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think the vibe is compounding interest. Your business is a compounding interest. Every decision you make compounds upon the last. So so. Speak, speaking of finance, by the way, how did you get into finance? You said you found your sweet spot in the accounting space. Yeah. What the, how did you know that? there are Finance or accounting has a certain reputation definitely in Europe, right? I'm not saying I share that. I've met so many really cool and interesting finance people. So I think there's a lot of, again, prejudice here as well. But what brought you into that space? Well, interesting. I'll get, I, I want to I ask you really quick because I think the answer to your question is exactly what we're talking about. But what is the prejudice in Europe? Because I assume it's the same in the US. Oh, yeah. I, I spoke about that actually on a different podcast. Accounting people, finance people are really dull, just data oriented, always introverted, not you can't really negotiate or have some inspiring discussions with them. It definitely does not meet my experience. I can't remember when I met this kind of stereotype in the past. And now as well, I work with a lot of finance organizations. So yeah, but that was the question and I hope I answered it. Yes, yes. So exactly the same, the same prejudice in the United States. And one of the reasons why I found my niche and my interest point, right? So Accounting and finance or accounting and finance, like in the US, you know, your IRS codes, you know, some tax, you know, debits and credits, and you know how to review a financial statement. And basically that's it. Like it's all the same. So what what's different is our approach. So my approach is much more personable, meeting people with where they're at, right? And having a real conversation about it. And really where I, where I DBA is a certain amount of pragmatism about the state of business and where we're at. So I started my career in public accounting, like many people, most accountants do in the United States to get my CPA. And it was, this is the way that things need to be done. Things are very black and white. And that's really off-putting to clients and it's not really practical. So Really what I do now with my clients is understand that my goal is to always get them to black or to white, but it doesn't happen overnight. So this is part of the journey that we go through together. And it's part of meeting them where they're at and, and helping helping them navigate that process. And this actually came up. I actually have a client who is going on, I don't know if you know the show Shark Tank. Oh have you yeah. Heard of it? Yeah. They're go, they're in, they're uh, filming Shark Tank as we speak actually so as i was working with their account all day yesterday and and they're a new client of mine but we had discovered some pretty sizable issues that need to be fixed in their financial statements and she was really upset with her old bookkeepers and accountants and she 
asked these, these accounts why they're so messed up. And long story short is the account didn't feel that she wanted to build the, enough to the account. She didn't feel that she could justify building the account to make it correct. And she didn't want to have the hard conversation about what needs to be done to fix it, right? Have that confrontation. So, you know, my approach is really, we're going to have a pragmatic and honest conversation about the state of your, of your business. And we're going to take steps to, to fix what needs to be fixed. And have fun while we're doing it, right? Because we have a lot of fun. Please, yeah. I'm friends with all my clients. That's kind of, that's part of the vibe too. Is, you Are know, you? We're, we're all in this together. Oh yeah. Um, it's funny. I've become really good friends with all of my clients. So I assume because you built strong relationships, you chat away, you are an open book, you have curiosity. That's how I sure. have met you so far. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, to, it's, it's true. It's like today, jumping on Nicole, I've known him forever. It's, you know, <laughs> there's a vibe. <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting. So I have this client, my first client, actually the one that started my business and the, the CEO and I have become good friends and there's a deep, deep level of trust between us. Mm -hmm. So last week I wasn't feeling super well and we have a weekly meeting to review their business. And over time, um, I've onboarded them a lot of their business into my firm. It started with just fractional CFO work. And now I do all their, you know, payroll, HR insurance, basically my, my firm does all of their back office support. So anyway, you know, we just have our business review last week and I just messaged him. I was like, Hey buddy, like, you know, I'm not feeling very good. He's like, everything okay? I was like, you know, I'm I'm just feeling a little down in my life. I'm feeling a little depressed and I can't show up for you today in the way that I want to show up. Wow. And he was like, appreciate it. I'm always here to support you. No big deal, right? So by having these kind of conversations with my clients, which is kind of atypical in this space, mm -hmm. either people would push through it, have the meeting, or say, hey, hey, I'm sick. Can we reschedule, right? Mm -hmm. But what it does is it, it it develops a new level of trust between us. So now when he has an issue in his business that he feels insecure about or that he can't talk about transparently, he knows that he, he feels more able to do that because I've done that in return to him. And you know what? There is so much PR around normalized um, mental health challenges speak more about it. And sometimes the feeling I get is it's great PR. It's nice to have written a blog about it. I bring, do we bring it to life and that consistently? Do we really talk about it and see it and encourage others to open up about it? There are some who do it brilliantly and there are some who don't. It's a similar discussion currently with diversity, equity, and inclusion and yeah. so on and so on. Which one is a PR initiative and which one is a real kind of shift in the way we not just operate in an organizational uh, context, but also how we are with one another. And I think the example you have just given is an example of encouraging to normalize it yeah, and to not make it an awkward topic. But it's a relationship, it's a dialogue. So I'm very passionate about my discomfort or my distaste for the two-week notice period in the U.S. Do you do, you do that in, in Europe, the two-week notice period? Like when it, you want to quit a job, you give them two weeks notice? Every country in Europe can be different. And then you have uh, mutual agreements. It, it, it can be in between two weeks up until six months to a year. Wow. Okay. So in the U.S., it's two weeks. That's just what it is, right? And people ask me this all the time. And I'm passionately opposed to it because why? Me as an employee, 
I'm expected to give my employer a two weeks notice when I'm going to quit, but they're not going to give me a two weeks. They're not going to give me the respect when they fire me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what this is, there, there's an imbalance of respect and transparency and trust between employee and employer mm-hmm. or client and, and advisor. Right. So when we can level that playing field and level that trust, then we can start having the real conversation. Yeah. Right. But this is this, we have a massive imbalance. We don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. Employee doesn't trust employer, vice versa. So, and it's, it's, but it takes two to participate in the vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. The, dance. the disclosure element is important. And then to listen as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, people are not so good at listening. Speaking about your clients, you told me last time that there is something. Uh, you pay attention to when you make the decision to work with new clients. Mm-hmm. And that's basically a part of your niche, I would say. What kind of clients do you work with? Yeah, so all my clients, the easiest way I can describe it are heart-centered. I work with heart-centered business leaders that have a business with intention and purpose. I don't take every client that comes my way. Most of my clients are in like the health and wellness space. So that could be either mental health or physical health. So I've got a client that does, you know, the the ketamine therapy clinic. I've got one that runs like a juice bars, like really healthy organic food. I've got that cannabis company that's really passionate about, about the medicinal effects of cannabis. So a few others, but it's really about finding heart centered, health conscious people. And it's all about those business leaders, right? Because my, my partner says this, which I think is really poignant, is the the fish rots from the head. Yeah. So if the head isn't good, the rest of the body isn't going to be any good. So you said health-centered or heart-centered in the beginning? Both. Well, mm-hmm. heart-centered, H-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is not really by design, but by practice, it just kind of been in this like health and wellness space. It's really interesting. I've kind of, you know, come into this space where, these heart-centered people are interested in healing others, mm. you know, and bringing that, bringing that forward. I'm going to be a cynic now. And I say, just because they say in their, their mission statement, perhaps that they want to help other people doesn't mean that they are heart-centered business, right? right. Um, and, and you just spoke about the connection to the business leaders as well, um, the vibe and so on and so forth. So how do you know that they are heart-centered and how do you define that as well? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my most of my clients come through referrals, right? So through my network and my network is really kind of in the same space as I am. So if it's coming through a network referral, it's kind of embedded in some way, but we don't, before I onboard a client, start working with them, I might meet with them four or five, six times for extended hang it's basically just hangouts right like we'll go have a glass of wine or we'll go do an activity together because my relationship with my clients are long-term partnerships and we get very intimate with each other so i see everything you do in your finances right Mm -hmm. so and by proxy in the a lot i work with a lot of the business owners and do their personal taxes their their family office work which is their uh, personal cfo work so we have a very intimate relationship and I want us both to feel really warm and fuzzy about it before we go in. Yeah. So I haven't had, I've had to, I've had to fire one client because the, the vibes were not right, but that was a one-off situation. 
and you know, just really being intentionable, intention about who I bring in into my life. Liking it. I always need to let it sink in what you're saying because to my experience so far, such a different approach, a refreshing approach. So yeah. What, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? I rarely, if ever hear about acquiring clients with hangouts and <laughs> you know, and, and getting to know each other from such a, on such a personal level. And I say that without mm. any judgment, as I said, it's, it's refreshing. It's, it's human. Yeah. Let's get back. Let's get back to the basics. I mean, in the early days of, of human beings, I mean, you had a drink or went hunting together or whatnot, right? Exactly. Um, got to know one another and then, oh yeah, we can do something together. So yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think this is a part of me getting older, you know, and <laughs> turned 30 recently. But you're um, an old soul. You know, <laughs> well, what I've realized is, so when I was a kid, like I'm talking a proper kid, seven, eight, nine, I would look at people, 16 year olds and be like, oh, they're grown ups, right? Like, they've got to figure it out. And then I'm 16 and I'm like, oh, those 24 year olds that are graduating from college, they've got to figure it out. And I'm graduating from college, like, oh, those 30 year olds, they have it figured out, right? And then what I've realized fairly recently is that, oh no, you're always just doing your best. We're all just doing our best here. Yeah. So if I can connect with you and be like, yo, yo, like we're, you know, we're not perfect, right? We're, we're just trying our best here. I know, I understand you're a, you're a business leader with, with imperfections, just like I am. And let's just call a spade a spade on that and not have pretense about professionality. And these like, let's not beat around the bush about what this is. I see you and I want you to see me. Yeah. So how long has Third Eye Capital been going now? We officially, I was just looking at this in preparation for this. My first invoice to my first client was April 15th, 2022. Wow. So that's literally no time. It's not even six months. And it's been going really, really great. Just hired my first employee. I um, just onboarded a really awesome new client yesterday. And I have some really, really exciting things that are happening in the business that that's actually going to go live on Monday. It's kind of this new thing that I'm offering to smaller businesses. Because right now my services are super high and bespoke. Really it's fractional CFO services, which are super complex accounting and finance issues that when people can't get them solved, they come to me. But that level of service is not accessible to most people. So what I'm doing is starting this practice in my firm where I basically take, because what I do ultimately for a lot of my clients as a relationship progresses is take on a lot of work. So all their HR, insurance, payroll, tax, compliance, all this stuff, right? What I'm realizing is virtually all businesses have the same problem. And so what I've been doing over the last few months is developing and systematizing my approach so I can give this super high level service to what I'm calling solopreneurs. So people that are trying to enter the gig economy, new businesses that don't have the headspace or the resources to hire a CFO like me, but then get in and get everything done properly for really low cost, right? So, and that involves a lot of systematizing and templatizing. So really excited to, and I've got, I've got quite a few people in this, in this initial beta group. Um, I'm really excited to help these people start their business. And all these people are quitting their jobs or have recently quit their jobs yeah. to start their own business. And I'm taking away that administrative burden for them, which is really exciting. Brilliant. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. You know, starting a business is always constantly evolving and it's, it's really exciting. 
Now, I do have another question about you for you. For sure. yeah. And uh, that's the one you shared previously with me that you are less risk averse. You take risks, <laughs> as you've just demonstrated in the conversation. At the same time, you have struggled, and you are struggling from time to time with anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Self-doubt, imposter, all of that. So what helps you to still bring up the energy, show the energy to others, take risks, move forward? Yeah, you know, I have a lot of drive, right? Like I, I'm passionate about my career, And at the end of the day, that gives me a lot of drive and I'm grateful for that. But I can't get caught up in anxiety about the career. So my, my mom is kind of like, you know, my coach in a lot of ways in some regards. But so she says that my kind of assignment, my thing that I need to work on is that anxiety in that, in that career and finance space. Right. And, you know, for other people, it's different things. Like for my mom, it's interpersonal relationships. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, I don't mean to air your dirty laundry. But You know, it's really about recognizing it. So um, something that I'm recently doing is, is vocalizing my anxieties, right? So when I have an anxious thought, for example, last night, an anxious thought was like a super silly, like some marketing I'm doing for my company. And I have an email that is not like, it was no big deal, but I was getting anxiety about it. So I verbalized it to my partner. I'm having anxiety because of this. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I said it out loud and I saw his response, which was kind of like, what? No big deal, mm -hmm. right? that helps you overcome and, and stop that monkey mind from continuing any further. Yeah. So it's really about stopping that, that negative feedback loop that we can get ourselves into and, and also not judging yourself for it. Right. Like don't judge yourself. Also, I want to kind of go in the direction of risk taking. I found it very energizing myself as well as inspirational when you and I had a chat privately um, about examples of people who don't take risks Yeah. And how you see that from the outside and um, how you make decisions about risks. So you moved around, you joined different companies at an early age, you know, you spend time in different locations. Now, within a short period of time, really taking your company to the next level as well. And, and it seems like you are almost fearless, <laughs> but you clearly are not. So what's, what's your view on taking risks and what advice would you also give to others to take more risks? Right. You know, it's funny, my, my partner and I were play, recently playing this game. I think it's called the, and I don't know if you've ever heard about it. No, it's like this card game where you ask difficult questions to your partner mm -hmm. and it really inspires a lot of good conversations. You should look it up. But one of the questions is what do you admire most about me, right? And his answer to me was you're fearless, right? Which is not true. Of course, I have fears and anxieties, but I don't let them control my life. I, I see the fear and recognize the fear for what it is. Mm -hmm. And if I fear something, to me, that tells me I need to do it. Like the fear is my own ego or my own, my own protector stepping in and saying, no, you don't want to do that. But I just have trained myself to say, no, that fear is holding me back from achieving the best version of myself. Right. Yeah. So I'm a very, and I'm a very risk tolerant person. So I'm very open to failure. Right. My greatest, my greatest lessons have been from failure. I, in college, I got fired from Starbucks after two weeks. It's my only job I've ever been fired from, but you know, I learned a lot. Why was that? Why was that? Well, long story short, customer was being really rude to one of my colleagues and 
I was like, listen, Karen, like, if you're going to be a bitch, you can leave. We don't want your business. And apparently when you work in Starbucks, that's not cool. Right. But it wasn't all, it also wasn't cool for her to be bullying our employees. So what, mm-hmm. what this taught me was a few things. One, I need to develop some tact. Mm-hmm. And two, it's okay to not work with everybody. It's okay to turn people away yeah. if they're going to be mean and bully you. Right. Yeah. So I, that failure taught me a few lessons that I'm very grateful for. So I'm very open to failure. I actually welcome it in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking earlier about an example of somebody that I know intimately that is very risk adverse, right? So wants to make changes in their life, but can't because of whatever. I can't do this because of my job. Well, change your job. Well, I can't because of the security it provides me, right? And I really think that it's more about finding that security in yourself. I might fail. I might lose my job. My, my job doesn't give me security. I get security from myself. And getting getting that that sense of peace and alignment at home and oneself that gives you a lot of latitude to go mess up in all the other areas of your life because you're grounded here. Yeah. So I could say this was a fantastic piece of advice for the listeners, but before I let you go, what other piece of advice can you share for all of those listeners who have been thinking about starting their own business and have not been doing it so far? Talk about this a lot um, and write about it a lot, but it's annoying but it's really simple. Just do it. Like literally just do it. So don't worry about filing in an LLC. Don't worry about getting a bank account. Don't worry about opening a QuickBooks. Don't worry about any of that. Just go and make your first revenue. Go and make your first sale. Do something, right? Because we were actually talking about this. The hardest part is the first step, right? So the fear and anxiety about starting your business is way harder than actually starting your business. And so if you've ever broken up with a partner or boyfriend, girlfriend, the fear and anxiety of breaking up is so much worse than actually breaking up. So yeah. just do it. Yeah. Annoying, but it's true. <laughs> and that was the motivation to that story. <laughs> For all of you who are in an unhappy relationship, here you go. Just do it. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, I tell this a lot before we go. I know um, what, what do you tell people when they are, want to start a business? What's your advice? I uh, admittedly, I don't say just do it. I ask them to look at their personal situation and um, <laughs> choose one step they can take to m- make it feel slightly more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because I do appreciate, I talk a, a lot to moms, right? Who are in a corporate role. They're like, but I look after the family and so on and so forth. And I can put myself into their shoes. Yeah, yeah, I say, nice. okay, what is the one step you can take to prepare for this step out? And the second thing is then to really visualize what's going to happen to you and therefore to the quality of the life overall if you don't take this step. Mm-hmm. And the pain of that often push people out into, oh, let's do this. Right. Is it the opportunity cost yeah. of not doing it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that was a bit more coachy, um, Dalton, but that's what <laughs> I say. Hey, maybe I'll take a page from your book. Well, well, that's kind of on on the list for a later period of time. Well, it's it's interesting. You and I, are, uh, you know, you help people get to the stage of starting their business, right? Mm. So, in, in terms of the life cycle of of these business individuals, you're at the very incubator beginning stage, and then I enter typically after they've started it, right? So I'm typically meeting with people that like have already decided to just do it, yeah, and now they come to me, right? Yeah. 
So it's it's really interesting. You probably encounter a lot more of these people. Like, I've been I've been digesting and mulling and thinking about this a lot, you know. Yeah. And um, what was I about to say? You know, I think the world needs more Daltons. And I hope mm. that your business is going to expand into Europe at some point soon. I hope so too. Maybe I'll come to Germany and and uh, see what's up. Yeah, well, absolutely. You will love it. We can share our glasses in. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and and you bring it with you, right? Yes, of course. Of course I will. <laughs> Got to look at those alcohol import laws in Germany, though. Yeah, actually, I actually don't know, but um, I'm pretty sure we can make it happen somehow. I'm sure we can. Before you go, Dalton, can you share with the audience where people can find out more about you and your services as well? Yes. So you can find me on thirdeye.capital, T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E dot capital, or you can search me up on LinkedIn, Dalton Allen, and then you'll find all about me and what we, what we, all the fun things we got going on. Well, thank you so, so much. There's nothing more to say today, but thank you to you for being so open and vulnerable and fun to work and to talk with. And thank you to the audience for tuning in today, for listening in, for leaving your feedback as well, for getting in touch with us. And the one thing to say is, well, just do it, right? Just do it. <laughs> Kathleen, super, super grateful for the work you're doing. Um, it's really great seeing you inspire this, this, this community and getting people to go out there and just do it, you know, make their life the way it was meant to be. Thank you so, so much. Take good care, everybody, and have a lovely rest of the week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.